0: Developers, 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 developers. Developers, developers,
1: developers, 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 developers.
2: Hello, and welcome to the Static Void Podcast. I'm Jess Chadwick. I'm Todd
0: And I am Chris Gomez.
2: And we are your hosts. We are recording this on the evening of September 21st, 2015, and in this episode of the podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the best practices that Todd, Chris, and I have used when building client-side browser-based applications, otherwise known as single-page applications, but we're going to be trying to avoid that term because that's actually the first best practice is to recognize that single-page is a complete misnomer. But before we get into that, I want to check in with you guys and see what you're up to. So Chris, what's new with you?
0: Well, it, since the last time we talked, I've um, actually been spending time learning how to create mods for Minecraft, which sounds absolutely nothing like what we talk about on the podcast. But it <laughs> That's does a fit. Podcast episode, we hope. <laughs> it does fit along with the fact that I run uh, Philly GameWorks, a game dev group in Malvern, and uh, you know, kids love Minecraft, and it turns out we're getting a ton of signups for kids and parents who uh, who That's know cool. that, that they want to learn how to do this stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, I've I've heard that that's become huge lately. It's like,
0: only uh, the number one PC game of all time, <laughs> so you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, Is that, that' why I've Microsoft been, bought it. I've been thinking about playing around with it, and I haven't even played Minecraft. <laughs>
1: don't do it; you'll waste so much time. In life.
2: <laughs> that's why I'm avoiding it. Yeah. So, Todd, what are you up to? Are you playing Minecraft? Or are you doing something? No, else?
1: no, I play I'm not playing Minecraft. Kind of doing a lot of research around the different client side frameworks out there, and and just trying to keep up to speed. There's are always constantly changing, and there's always new ones. Just trying to k- keep my handle around what's going on, and so customers are ready. If I have a lot of different customers, they ask me a lot of different questions about what framework they should be looking into. Should they be looking at Angular 2.0 versus Angular now? And just kind of keep my hand on the pulse of what's going on, and so I'm ready to help customers solve their problems when these when they want to use these frameworks. How about you, Jess?
2: Uh, well, actually, I'm I've been trying out uh, Angular 2 as well. Um, so for the past like week or so, I've just been reading the docs and on the Angular 2 site and just trying to find figure out how to use this thing. And it's just not ready yet. So as I mentioned, it's it's September 21st, 2015, right? And like we're just we're not there. The docs aren't there. If you if you go to the the getting started, the walkthrough, and it literally like walks you through step by step. Maybe that works depending on the day if they've kept the docs up to date. So it's uh, it, it's 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 just not ready yet. I mean that's my verdict. It seems really awesome, right? I, I love a lot of uh, of the ideas that that they're going for, um, and they're they're embracing you know, uh, ECMAScript six and kind of all the latest technologies and things. But uh, trying to figure it out as somebody coming in from it. From from the outside and just trying to figure out from scratch right now. Even having a background in Angular One, it's just it's very difficult to pick up. And I, I think the funniest thing right now is is on their web page. If you go to the Angular Two web page, uh, I think it's angular.io. Uh, it, uh, there's actually a big huge banner that says "Do not use this in production. It is not ready yet. <laughs> it's not ready for prime so, Yeah, they're not even pretending to be ready yet, and 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 they're not. But yeah, I, I, I'm really eager. To see when they are, I'm really yeah. eager to try it out when they are. It it, it's a good thing.
1: Promising. I mean, Angular One solves a lot of the problems pretty well, so
2: yeah, yeah. It's and better it's for them not to rush it, share get it issues. right. So, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. I want to see it get it right. So, all right. So, well, today we're going to be kind of continuing the conversation that we started in our previous episode. Uh, the one right before this. And in that episode, we had a high-level discussion about developing client-side browser-based applications. Um, So if you're the listener or somewhat new to this area, then I highly recommend that you check out that episode first and then come back to this one. In this episode, Chris, Todd, and I are going to chat a bit about some tips, tricks, pitfalls, and best practices that we've used when developing highly immersive browser-based client-side applications, otherwise known as SPAs. Um,
1: We're not on to mention that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, like yeah, I but, said, yeah, that's, we the, don't like the, that's word. the
2: first best practice is, is <laughs> don't use the term spa. Um, but it's a lot, uh, saying spa is a lot shorter than highly immersive browser-based client-side applications, which is the only way that I know how to describe them otherwise. Um, so, I mean, I'll kick us off. So my, my very first kind of best practice is to always use a framework. I mean, I know, I, I know that some people find this a little bit contentious um, and, and some people actually take the approach of don't ever use a framework and just write it from scratch. But frankly, um, in my experience, and this isn't even just limited to the browser, this is pretty much across the board, but particularly in the browser um, with JavaScript and with um, the, the browser is just moving forward very quickly. There's a lot of new stuff and, and, and keeping up on it, uh, keeping up on all of that by yourself is really just... Not always um, realistic, and doing it all yourself is just not worth it because you end up having to be an expert in all of these things. And frankly, there's other people smarter than you that have solved the problem before. So just take advantage of their intelligence and their effort. I don't know how you guys how you guys feel about that, but that's that is definitely kind of my number one tip or best practice.
1: oh I, I agree, definitely. Um, particularly if you're starting out, you, you don't want to just start with the browser and say. Hello, world HTML, and like, oh, I have a framework, or I'm ready to go. T- trying to take advantage of a framework, like you were talking about, how there's, um, there's, um, there's a lot of people, smart people, have figured all this stuff out. They understand what you need to do in order to move from page to page, or how to go get data from the server, and things like that. If you're trying to start out for yourself, you're going to end up writing all this plumbing code yourself. You're going to get bogged down in trying to solve things that have already been solved instead of focusing on your application.
2: Yeah, and it's just, it's not easy. I've done it before. I've actually written a framework. I, in, uh, this advice comes from me very personally because I made the mistake of trying to write a framework, and it's not easy. It's its very hard. Um, you really have to truly, like, understand the guts of how JavaScript works and the browser works and the DOM works if you're going to build a, a good one. I mean, you can build a crappy one, I guess, but who wants to do that? Yeah. Well, yeah, so and
0: frameworks idea. solve a very different problem from from like jQuery. I mean jQuery was a different issue when the browsers were all so terribly different that we needed this unifying library just to let us work with the DOM like with one code base. And that's that's not the issue here. You know, what we're talking about instead is is that when you when you get around to writing <clears> the plumbing code to bind out data, to get that onto the screen, to get that rented out, or when you know, the user is going to enter some stuff. Now you want to pull that back in and then figure out, okay, what service I'm going to call with that. You'll end up writing that code hundreds of times. You won't write it the same way every time. And worse, you probably will mix it uh, in such a way that it's tightly bound to your pages. It's not reusable. It's just, it's you. I mean, yes, like you said, Jess, you said you tried, you know, you, you've built a framework and you probably put a lot of work and, and effort into trying to, to build something that you know that it's going to be completely ignorant of the of what's rendered on the page. But I think that it would be really hard to set out and do that. And so that's the first thing that frameworks do is they try to give you a development pattern that you can follow so that um, you know you get plumbing code out of the way, you never have to deal with it and instead you get to focus on the business logic.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting that you brought up jQuery because that's just the the, the ubiquitous uh, library that everybody is familiar with. If you've done web development in the past ten years, you've jQuery. You've used jQuery, but um, I, I liked. I always used to. I always like to kind of make the distinction between a library and a framework. And I, I say, you know, jQuery is a library because it helps you do kind of one specific thing, and that is DOM manipulation. It also does, has, like, helpers for, you know, Ajax and, and, and things like that. But it, the, the main thing it is, uh, the main problem it deals with, just like you just said, is, is basically... Uh, browser compatibility, right? A, a, a standard way of doing DOM manipulation across all browsers, and that was really needed 10 years ago, and now it's just we're beyond that. We have kind of bigger better problems, and that is actually building applications with this kind of thing, and, and in those cases you kind of want frameworks and, or maybe even some patterns.
1: Yeah, right. And, and you, hey, you brought up jQuery, one of the things that really helped jQuery take off and stuff is there was a rich community behind it, right? It wasn't just you on your own trying to figure everything out. There was a community, and all of a sudden people were building different kind of widgets and things. You're like, hey, and I need a grid, extensions. or I need I need a yeah. chart or something. You didn't have to start from scratch. So yeah. that's also important when you when you go to pick a framework like you were talking about. Frameworks are more general purpose, right? The .NET framework, we're all familiar with that, right? So that was trying to solve 100 problems. So when we talk about frameworks in the browser, generally they're trying to say, how do I build an application? Not just, how do I manipulate the DOM? It's trying to solve yeah. all those problems.
2: A, an application in the browser.
1: Yeah, so application something. in the browser, yeah. Well, yeah. we can almost say no, too, right, in some degrees. It may not be in the browser. Um, but one of the challenges I have, and we talked about some of the things I've been researching lately, is, well, how do you choose? What, what Which framework do I want to use? Do I want to use the one that's most popular, or do I want to use the one that Microsoft or Google or somebody else recommends? And my general rule of thumb is the web is very open. It's an open source type of world. So you want to find one with a very rich community that, is, that backs it and that people are contributing to it. It isn't just the, the, the vendor that's promoting it. There's a whole big community behind it. And you should also contribute to the community. Um, I mean, Angular and stuff, it's open source, right? So you can go write new things and different things in Angular or whatever framework you choose to use. You can contribute to it and then also take contribution from other people. It's also important too when you're first getting started how do you get started right you need some guidance and different things if you're picking one that has a strong community you're more likely to find an answer to what you're looking for as opposed to trying to
2: just guess what's going on Yeah yeah so what about when you get into the meat of it I mean do you have uh, some opinion some frameworks are more opinionated than others right they have uh, they take on different conventions or ways of doing it, doing things do you Prefer a certain type of framework over another, or what? What kind of things do you naturally gravitate to?
1: So, being a guy that's very into patterns of things, I look at a framework and say, "What kind of patterns does this framework implement?" And does it does it use similar patterns when I'm looking for? And a lot of them use the Model View Controller pattern, which is a very popular pattern. It solves. It makes it really easy to build user applications. You can easily use. break down all your components into different pieces and things. So it has this idea of promoting the idea of separation concern. Well, that's a popular pattern. It's very easy to use across different types of uh, applications. So when I look at a framework, whether it be Angular or Knockout or whatever framework you want to look at, that's one of the things I'm looking for. Is it really solving the application problem as opposed to just jQuery, which is solving DOM manipulation?
0: right and and you know and to be fair you know we're going to we're we're narrowing the scope of what jquery can do and this is before all the haters come out and say oh jquery does you can attach to events and and you can make ajax calls look that's that's true that's true but it's not trying to tell you how to build your application the way angular or Aurelia or React is. And you you just mentioned knockout a moment ago, Todd. Like knockout was pretty early to the game, but it was solving a problem in the same vein that jQuery was solving a problem. Knockout was saying, I'm gonna solve a problem of binding uh UI elements to models. But then that's where I'm stopping. That's I'm done. I'm so, I solved that problem. That's it. And and I think what made people really um, gravitate to Angular, because there was kind of this flip. People were, hey, let's build stuff with Knockout. And then one day it was, no, 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 let's build stuff with Angular. Because Angular came in and it was very opinionated. It said, this isn't just how you should solve this one problem. This is how you should build your application.
1: Yeah. And in many ways, they kind of build upon. Like you said, Knockout was trying to solve just data binding. Well, that's one component of, of, of um, Angular. Angular solves a lot of other problems. And I almost tell people, and some when they get started, I almost still tell them to go learn knockout first, because it's it's, it's the one thing you may not necessarily know how to it's do. It's one,
2: yeah. It's one piece of the, yeah. of the puzzle. And once yeah.
1: you kind of grasp that idea of using model view controller and having data binding, it's much easier to then go into Angular and how it implements those things as opposed to trying to start out with, well, how do I start out with hello world in Angular? Um, yeah. Which is which is another thing I kind of want to touch on real quick is a really good framework is based on patterns and things. So there's a natural... It should be easy for you to switch from one to the other. Now, obviously, the implementation's a little different. But if you understand the model view controller pattern, if you understand, hey, I'm going to use data binding to solve this problem, being able to jump between those frameworks, you have a common denominator you're going to work with. You work with Knockout, I've done data binding. Okay, now how do I do that in Angular? How do I do that in React or um, Aurelia? Whatever the framework I choose to go to. Where... There are other frameworks that have come and gone that didn't really follow that. I won't really mention any of them, but there's a few I have, I have a short list of ones that I tried to avoid. They yeah. didn't solve that problem. They'd focus on something totally different, and it made it really hard to work with. Yeah. yeah. So so Jess, one of the things that we keep talking about frameworks and, and patterns and things. What about like when I worked with jQuery, we had UI widgets or components and things. What plugins, about like, yeah. does component based development fit into this kind of paradigm?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that's one of the big things that I'm that I always push for is is component based development, which basically just means take your application and break it up into modular chunks, right? Components. Um not web components necessarily, right? The web components is a it's a it's a standard, an emerging standard. Um and I'm not even talking about that. I just mean kind of components with a with a lowercase C, right? Just you have pieces of your application um, or, or you have a whole application and logically it is just composed of multiple different things multiple different pieces right so you have you know a, a details view and a, and a list view and you select the item from the list view and you show the details view you know each of those things the list view component itself the list view is a component and then you know the detail view is a component and they are complete even though they work together very well they're completely isolated from each other they're completely modular and um, they're not explicitly dependent on each other right and so the easiest thing to do when we're talking about patterns or rather anti-patterns it for, with a lack of patterns the easiest thing to do is just kind of to open up a page and just dump everything into one page Right, and so I'm not even getting into you know put your JavaScript in a file and a CSS in a a file. You know, assuming you're you're doing all that, I'm I'm literally talking about you know take one big HTML file and dump all of your HTML (laughs) in there, or you know take one big JavaScript file and dump all your JavaScript in there. That is kind of the easiest thing to do, but it's not maintainable, right? And so your entire application is in one place, and it's some. People like that, right? Some people that actually argue for that and say, you know, it's I know where everything it is, is. It is in that one file, but yeah, is it in the first five thousand lines or the second five thousand? Yeah, exactly. File, right? well, and so when you when you break things apart, it makes it easier to deal with it. It makes it easier to. Um, kind of uh, fix, uh, build and fix, you know, one piece yeah. of the application, test one piece of that application in in isolation, right? So you can test that details view without the list view. You can yeah. just say, load this one thing, right? Load the details of this one client, and it doesn't really matter that it came from the list view or, or not. And, or, and
1: uh, I'm sure most of us have always run into the case of, today it's a list, but tomorrow, like, well, now we want a grid. Yeah, exactly. So by using that component-based exactly. approach... You've isolated where it needs to change. Exactly. I'm not worried right. about well, I got to change all this code, or I have to change a shared file. I'm right. getting the benefit. And, and
2: in this case, in this case, I'm, I'm using the example of uh, this generic, you know, list view and, and details view. You can even further assume that that this is the only place in my application I'm using this, right? But I'm still going to go ahead and make that a component mm-hmm. because it helps me isolate them, and yeah. I get all the benefits all the benefits of of that isolation. I'm, I'm able to develop and maintain them better. I'm able to understand them better, right? Yeah. So I'm able to say, these are, this is the couple dozen lines of HTML that compose the the view for that details view versus here's a thousand line of HTML <laughs> and where, where yeah, are they, where's where's the, 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 the lines? And, yeah, right. Where's the lines of HTML for that details view? kind of yeah, And it, it also makes exclusive. it
1: easier if you have a team, right? If I'm going to have, you can work on one component, I can work on another component. If we're all trying to work together, we could step over each other or... I could break your code, you could break my code. Yeah, yeah, right. right. And really, I mean, tying it back to frameworks, to me, that's one of the benefits a framework brings to you. It's very prescriptive in, here's how you follow it in my framework. So it makes it much easier for you to say, hey, I need to build a list, screen or whatever. It's much easier for me to create a component to do that versus trying yeah. to do it on my own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, the framework also encourages you to separate how you deliver data to the component so that when you're going about testing it, you know, you might even build some some dummy thing to just fill it up with some some hard coded data. But you know, uh, when the time comes, it's going to be pulling it from a service or an API, something that you build on the back end, and it avoid you avoid the big bang of like just to test my website, mm-hmm. I have to have the whole enchilada working from yeah. Yeah. front to back.
1: server to get it tested out.
0: Right, locally.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, so you it, just get that decoupling and modularity, just yeah. uh, all of the benefits out, yeah. out of that.
1: And follow on with the whole kind of team concept to that is it also makes it easier then for you to separate your team. You may have people who are really good at doing the data access or business logic. They can focus on their piece while you have the user interface developers or even designers to a degree focusing on the UI and stuff. You get that and a benefit that's more the separation concern and things like yep. that. So yep. it definitely helps to have that, that framework and things. You can go crazy, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the reality is anything taken to the, the 10th degree could be the wrong solution. There are no silver bullets, right? Yeah. Well, if what I've need, seen,
0: what I've seen is I've seen folks say, okay, so we're going to use the, the, the view components of this particular framework. Like for example, in Angular, their directives, right? And they'll say, well, you know, uh, on every, on every one of our pages, we're taking, um, contact information. And, and so we got to reuse that. We've got to build the one contact form to rule <laughs> them all. And we'll use it, on the four different pages that take contact information. However, there's subtle differences in each of the four mm-hmm. pages. The, mm-hmm. uh, the, the technical support personnel, you got he has a phone number for his contact mm-hmm. information. But the, the business manager, he doesn't need a phone number. He always gets emailed. And then um, the marketing guy has five phone numbers. And so what ends up happening is the complex UI component is the one that the team insists on using everywhere, even when it's <laughs> not needed, you know, for that simpler person that didn't even have phone numbers to begin with, but yet here I am, as the UI coder, having to dummy out fields that I'm not even using, or you might write the view component in such a way that you, like, null up the, the phone number section so that it doesn't appear, and so now there's a bunch of logic saying, like, well, should I even show myself? And and so you've gone the wrong way. I, I You know that the three of us sense that if you've done that, you've done something wrong. But I think that your your you know your developer just at work trying just trying to get work done gets a bad taste in their mouth because they I tried to do reuse I tried to build a component this this all sucks I, yeah, I hate it didn't it. work for
1: me didn't work for yeah. me. I mean my answer to that is is, is quite simple doing components is finding it at the right level to do them at like you, what you just described to me I would have created a telephone component. Yep. Right. Cause that there's a telephone component has a very clear defined right. There's probably some validation. There might be different formats, different international time zones, and things you want to whatever related to phone numbers you need to do. I've actually done this. It's very hard to make one freaking validation for every phone number in the world. It's the most impossible, every um, locale and things like that. Instead of trying to build a contact form, that's a form, right? It's not a widget or not going to a component. So the me is if you should start at the smallest level and then work your way up. So I would create a telephone widget. So you or component you can componentization works when you use it at the right level, and it's better yeah, to build I'm, a I'm smaller not, thing than than trying to build I, a master thing.
2: I agree with that generally speaking. I'm not sh- really sure I I can get really behind uh, you know turn the phone number field into a widget and turn every field yeah, into I a mean, widget. Yeah, I mean again, it,
1: it, I'm using it as a, his example. Yeah, my initial yeah. instinct would probably be the UI maybe shouldn't control this. It should be a very general. Form, and then there's something else that maybe would drive what's hidden, what's shown, or maybe yeah. simply it should just be a form. Well, so, has- so my
2: my take on this is that uh, we as developers really we always try and look for patterns. I mean, we as humans look for yeah. patterns, but as developers, we're always trying to look for abstractions over those patterns. Right? And we're we're always trying to take a bunch of things that kind of look the same and make them the same thing, so we can implement them once and then reuse and. Sometimes they're just completely different use cases that just happen to look the same. Um, other times, it's more like it sounds like the the the, the theoretical uh, scenario that you're talking about is more of like a a simpler and a more advanced version of of the same form or of the same use case. And so then we kind of say, well, I have this advanced one, or at least I have to make mm-hmm. this advanced one, and so I can. Make this advanced one and then add a bunch of switches, a bunch of flags to say, well, turn this field off and turn this off. And and so now if if part of the benefit of creating components was to make them more maintainable, now you've actually gone the other way and you've made it less maintainable because you've made it more complex. And so at a certain point, even if it is the same use case, even if it is the basic version and the advanced version of the same use case, maybe you just make another component. Yeah. Right. Maybe they still are two different components even if they are the same kind of use case on the uh, or on the spectrum of the same use yeah. case.
1: I mean you it, sound like in many ways you talk about an anti pattern related to building components. You're giving too much responsibility to a single thing. In this case it yeah, yeah. has to be a, a contact form. Right. And if you break it down into something a little smaller, it's much easier to plug it in other places. And then the smaller you, s- you have to define what makes sense for your use case. Right. I think that's yeah. another thing that a lot of people when they look at a framework or, or even a library or whatever, they wanted to solve all their problems. And that's just not, that's not practical.
0: Well, even code that you build yourself, you both you both used words in there. Just used the word maybe, and you just said you have to do what's right for you. And, and I do think we as developers too often say, man, I'm so sick of solving this problem. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set out to solve it once and for all. It's going to
2: take it, me four weeks.
0: Yes, and so you do. you set out to solve it for your really advanced use case, but now, like you just said, you, whether it's in the form of actual switches, you've you've, you've written switches into the code that oh well, yeah. flip that switch on so that the all of the headers are bolded and flip that switch off so that they can be color and flip that switch on and And here's the bad news: Don't we have examples of this sort of poor component building in jQuery UI plugins in some of our older um, desktop? client stuff that we did earlier, you know, whether it's WinForms or WPF, we have these examples of, I built the one-size-fits-all component, here, world, go forth and use it. <laughs> the only problem is, is you've now tied yourself to using this implementation, all these different places that, that you didn't need it. And so then, inevitably, the maintainability is horrible when you've got to go change it for one of your use cases. Because oh, yeah. we're all going to sit around saying like, oh, but that breaks the other four pages that didn't need that Use case change. So, as yeah. always, you've got to yeah. figure out yeah. what's right for your business case and what's going to bring the value to the business quickly instead of, like, I'm going to solve the problem forever. Solving the problem yeah. for all time makes your business no money.
1: No, yeah, and, and you're never going to solve it. I mean, you brought up a, a very good use case there. A component should be a, be in isolation. Like, if it would have four pages that are using this component, making a change to that component, shouldn't necessarily require those components that other pages to be written so i kind of look at it like this if you're running you keep running the case and it starts to feel wrong right i'm going to add another switch which you should tell yourself is now is the time to refactor right i think that's one thing developers are get very hesitant about they hate they think that once i have something i have to keep building upon it and it's not the right solution you've got to be always willing to say take a step back hey you know what I'm going to simplify this now. I'm going to make the simple contact form the advanced contact form. You may not know that day one. You may not even know that day three. But the minute I create that third page, I'm going to start seeing a pattern that's going to hopefully lead you to the idea that maybe I need something else. This isn't the right component for me.
2: Yeah. Well, there also is a middle ground sometimes. I don't use this a whole lot, but there's a middle ground sometimes that's um particularly easy to do with the mvc pattern when you have the model view and controller separated then it's easy to put multiple or easier to put multiple views on the same model and controller right and so sometimes you can when when you can say make default values or something for those more advanced fields and just show the basic fields sometimes you can create a basic view and an advanced view but still reuse the same controller still reuse the same still still reuse the same model still reuse the same controller the same ajax calls and all mm-hmm. of that stuff you know the same workflow even the same validation for the fields that you are showing yeah. um and so then you are getting reused right but you're even even if you're creating a brand absolutely brand new view you're still getting reuse and and you're not having to build from scratch, so I mean, like I said, that's kind of <clears throat> I wouldn't really call it an edge case. it's a little more common than that for me um yeah. but yeah, it's definitely you know kind of a twenty percent case you know it's it's not really the what I'm doing on a daily basis yeah.
1: well, I mean just to to follow on what you were saying there, I've been doing the software for way too long, twenty years and or plus years and so, and you guys too have been doing it a long time. What changes more than anything else?
2: do you want view. Right? Yeah, the technology. Right? Yeah, well, technology the technology changes too. Technology, but I mean, the changing.
1: user constantly wants to keep changing UI and stuff. But you're kind of following the, the approach you talked about there with having the idea that the back end and the the view, and, or sort of the controller and the model, they kind of stay the same, and you just let the view kind of change based on what you need. It makes yeah. a lot of sense because there's a good chance that tomorrow the the one guy who only wanted email, all of a sudden now he wants a phone number, right? That's more likely to happen than you're going to add 10 phone numbers to the screen. So it's also the idea that resilience, right? The idea of a good framework or a good architecture is it's resilience to change. When a new requirement gets introduced, you're not like, oh, got to start from scratch, file a new project again. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so definitely, you know, on the client side, you know, we can build components to try and get some maintainability, but also to separate the concern out from what a component does and how it gets its data, and and what what do you do with the data? I mean. Um and, and you can try, and, and that helps in a team environment, too, because obviously when you're working on your own, you can hack out whatever you want. But the three of us, we work in teams. So yeah. we want to make sure that we have a development framework that allows us to all work together, go off, and we can, we can each go back to, to our cubes and do a little bit of work, but we can then get together and bring it together without a lot of pain.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or if you work on one screen, and later a few months I work on that screen, I have some predictability of how you approach the problem. All oh, yes, absolutely. How to create the contact form. I mean, we've all been right. there, right? <laughs> Six right? If there's one way to do it, there's a thousand different ways to do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: So, Chris, you actually just mentioned uh, data, right? Components uh, interacting or, or getting their own data, managing their own data. And so this is kind of a crucial part of component-based development for me is it that includes the state of of the component the data of the component right so in pretty much any real application um you're 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 going to be getting data from somewhere you know making an ajax call to the server or whatever and that's got to make it to the component right so i keep going back to this example of a, a details view and a list view and things like that so what is populating that details view it's it's the the customer right? And that customer came, the data for that customer came from somewhere. I got it from the from the server. Um, but then the, the important thing for me is that, first of all, my component shouldn't necessarily care where that data comes from, right? It just, it relies on that customer data. It shouldn't necessarily care where that customer data comes from. Maybe the component knows how to go and make the Ajax call itself, but it shouldn't necessarily directly depend on that. And second of all, once it gets that, that customer data it has its own copy of that data and it should be as immutable as possible right so the components should have their own copy of data and they should communicate updates via apis and events these are kind of the rules that i that i follow on my my team um and so the uh, frameworks like angular and knockout right um the, 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 one of the big, big draws for them is this two-way binding. So basically, you create an object and then you bind properties or fields of that object to the UI. And so, whenever the UI changes—in other words, whenever I type something into a an, into a, the input box—it actually updates in real time that field on the on the object itself, on that JavaScript object. And so. Again, people new to these kind of frameworks, the first thing they do is it's just really, really easy to just literally share the same reference to that same object. And so I have one component over here that is two way bound to that object. And when I change it, this other component over here, here's that it's just merely because we're looking, we're referencing that same exact object. We're bound to that same object. And that seems like a really, really good thing. I mean, honestly, when I started using Angular, I felt that was a really, really good thing. Um, but that really, now we've got two different components kind of working and operating on that same state, and it actually becomes more more harmful than good in a lot of ways. I can actually kind of introduce a lot of different problems. I mean, have you guys run into that at all? Have you, or am I just completely crazy? Is this just <laughs> a problem that I have? I'm just doing it wrong. Yeah, I've
1: definitely run into it. And it's, it's important to, to be smart about it. I mean, there, it's like anything else. There's not a hard, fast rule that says always do X. But with what you were talking about, generally it makes sense. You want to have each component have its own isolated data, right? Because if it changes something, you may want to react to it, but you also may not want it to react right away. And so when you start dealing with different components of things, you have to deal with shared state. The question is, how do you, if one thing needs to know something else, change something, how do you solve that problem? What do you do yeah. to solve that problem?
2: Yeah, so, right. So practically speaking, I mean, most of the time you're updating data, right? You're, you're, you're managing data. You're, you're making changes to these things. That's why you're two-way binding in the first place is so you can change values, right? And so when those values change, you're generally going to be doing you're going to be updating some other thing. You may be sending it to the server, right? You may be, may be making an AJAX call to the server to say, hey, update this field. You may have other components on the page that depend on that on that data, that are also referencing that data. Um, like in my example of the list view and the details view of, of customers, um, you know, if I change the customer's name and the details view, I'm going to want that same customer's name in the list view to be updated as well. So how do you keep those things in sync? I think, first of all, it's important to to point out when the component is modifying two-way, you can still do two-way binding, but you're only binding your your local state, you're binding to your local state. And so you kind of, the component can have kind of a work in progress, right? Where it can make all of the changes it wants to all of of the uh, data that it has without affecting anything else. Kind of by design, that's kind of what you want. And then when it's done, when you say okay, right? when you're at the logical point in the workflow where you're going to save that that yeah. data and i'm making air quotes right yeah. save it meaning <laughs> you know persist it elsewhere per, you know announce it to the world that yes this is this should be updated that may result in an ajax call it may result in other places in the application changing those changes should be communicated through a, a pub sub model or an event driven mm-hmm. model that that's the way that i Um, kind of sync those two together that's kind of a big a big issue that people coming to to this model really um that's a big hole for them a big gap for them is like okay Mm -hmm. i understand you know my component can only change what it owns but if i've got two components that rely on the same data how do i keep them in sync right Mm -hmm. and so my answer to that is is eventing a, a pub sub model and so the pub sub model is basically you've got PubSub means publisher and subscriber, right? And you've got subscribers that register for an event, and they basically say, you know, whenever an event with this name comes through, execute this function, right? Let me know and execute this function. Function, And then publishers raise the events. So they say, you know, this happened, let everybody know. And so, like, in my example of the, of the, of the client details, if the details screen, once it successfully saves the name... It's going to raise an event that says customer name changed, you know, maybe pass in some arguments that that have the customer ID or whatever, or maybe even the new name of the customer. And then the subscribers will listen for that customer changed event or customer name changed event. And they'll look at the arguments and say, hey, cool. All right. You know, I'm interested in that. I'll update myself. I'll update my own local state. And that's kind of how we keep things in in sync. And the thing that's at the center of all this is the is the event source, right? It's it's the registry of subscribers that the publishers talk to, um, and, and it's that thing that that goes and triggers all of the subscribers. Um, and I mean, the big thing of this pattern is that if no one is subscribed, that's okay. Like that's part of the pattern. That's part of the pub mm-hmm. sub pattern is that you may be publishing an event that just falls on deaf ears, and your application shouldn't like rely on this thing yeah. happening, you know, as a as a crucial functional point. It should, or, or blow up or anything, right? It or totally blow up, fail. yeah. <laughs> if if nobody listens to it, it's, you know, yeah. it blows. The whole thing blows up. It should really be used to kind of keep things in sync and and keep keep one component notified of of uh, things yeah, happening thanks. in another. So what, well, there's you, a,
0: other elements of a user experience there that that are. Are interesting to me in that you just mentioned the the example of a of having to change a customer's name, and you might go change it in one part of the view, but then I'm just going to go ahead and build on your example and say the title the title of that page had the customer name, so you know it's some and, and you know what let's throw out like a fictional Acme Corporation as the customer, and so but your job is to go in and change it. So, you're right. A lot of folks that are getting started with two-way data binding, I said, well, wait, there's only one customer, so why don't I just take this title banner and bind it to the customer model, and then let me take this area where you can edit it and bind it, and that's awesome. I, that's two-way data binding. That's what I wanted to happen, mm-hmm. except you start thinking like a user, so the user clicks on edit, and they start changing the name of Acme Corporation because there's been a corporate name change, but then you get distracted, now, we can, we can tell that the person made the mistake and used two-way data binding for two different parts of the same view because as they're changing the name of Acme Corporation, you look up it, up, it starts changing <laughs> it up on the title, right? We've yeah, all seen yeah. that. Yes. But the mistake from a user experience point of view is the user gets distracted and has to go do something else and comes back, What? wait, no, hold on, what customer was I changing again? So they reflexively look up, oh, crap, it up. it's yeah, changed, changed on me. I don't, know, I don't even know what I'm doing now. Cancel.
2: <laughs> Right. So, so they they, they you don't will even hit want cancel, to save the results of that work yeah. until you're actually done. Yeah, it's truly a, yeah. a work in progress.
0: Yeah, they will hit cancel and then they'll start their work over and then they'll grumble about it and say, yeah, you know that's how it works. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be that way.
1: So the, the build upon the use case that you guys are talking about, the common thing I often run into related to this is the idea that maybe I have a search screen or maybe it's just talk about a list where I have a list of all my customers. And then I go to click on them, and now I need to notify three or four different components on my screen that this is now the selected customer. Maybe I have like a sort of a dashboard-type layout. I'll yeah. we'll have a, a grid, yep. then maybe a couple charts, and then maybe something else going on down, down below, get the detail or whatever else makes sense for the application. That's where something like Event Pub really shines. Because now I don't have to worry about what these other components want to do with the data. I just have to tell them, hey, here's an event I'm firing – if you subscribe to it, you'll be notified, and then you do what you want with the data. I get yeah, that very yeah. loose coupling, which is good because that means different developers can work on different pieces. I also get that isolation, which we were talking about with components, right? If I on screen X want to change it from a pie chart to a bar chart, the list box shouldn't care, right? It shouldn't. The search functionality shouldn't care how you're displaying the data. It just yeah. says, "Hey, the customer's changed. Go off and do what you want to do." Yeah. It, it also gets into maybe you have a more advanced type application where maybe the server is even changing things on you right and you need to have like real time communication again it's as far as the UI is concerned something changed it doesn't care what triggered the change or what why it changed there's just this feed that comes in and then as the feed comes in it reflects the change yeah right so it's it's definitely important Um, and again that's tying back to the idea that's one of the advantages of starting with a framework is it solves a lot of these problems I don't have to say, well, how the hell do I build a pub sub? How do I implement that pattern? What do I even need to do? Well, let me go to Stack Overflow and see what they say, kind of thing. It's yeah. having a framework, a good solid framework, it solves those common patterns for you.
2: It's just part, it's the way you do things in that framework. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I think that's a big, big part of choosing the framework for you is are are these patterns the ones that you're going to be using to solve your problems are they the ones that it, it is that does it represent how you kind of typically think about these problems you know cuz i'm not saying that eventing and pubsub and and component based is the only way to do things you know no. only an idiot would say that it's just <laughs> that's the thing that works the best for me right and certainly this this combination of you know components and eventing to for them to communicate between each of them to kind of uh you know, keep their encapsulation in check um, to enable them to be to, to, to be modular and encapsulated as much as possible. That that's just a really good, uh, really good pairing that's been working well for me.
1: So you, you mentioned this idea about modularization and and separating things out and things. And these, if you see something else, I think a lot of new developers coming to building single page apps or even any kind of applications, where do I put getting the data access? Like, where do I do the AJAX? Like, do I just, does the list box know how to make an AJAX call? Or is there a better solution to this? And there is. There, using communication isn't just about UI components. There's also how I get data from the server. So there's a common pattern uh, called the service layer pattern. And the idea is, and this is something like Angular easily promotes, is I create a service to do X thing. I may have a service that does something like logging, or one does caching, or wherever else that makes sense, but I also may have one that says search, and it it can all it ever does is prov- provide the mechanism to do search for the application. So what do you guys right. think about that? Does right. That, does it make well, sense you know, to extend this out beyond just UI widgets and things like that.
0: Well, right. I mean, what I like about that is is that so while the user may have to execute a search and they may have to provide a search term, if you and when, let's say there's a little magnifying glass that you click, if you put the code that does the search right there. Well, we've completely blown away everything we've talked about, just saying that that, that magnifying glass is really just a publisher, like, hey, I, I, just need, I just need somebody to go out and get that search data, I don't really care who. And so for the purposes of testing, you can swap it out with something that returns a dummy answer that you can always test, mm-hmm. or in the case of that searching code, you don't even need a UI to test it anymore. You could, build, you could build an automated system that just exercises your searching code that, yep, against this data, it returns the results that I expect, and I don't have to fire up the whole application or have or even have a web server.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Or maybe at one part of the application you need a very simple text search, but another one you need type-ahead search or something else more advanced. Now it, I don't have to, each one solve the same problem. There's a single place that search happens. There's just two different UIs that consume that
2: yeah no i i I use this this uh this pattern a lot um i mean uh, i i potentially even overuse it because this is just kind of my go-to pattern is just to kind of isolate these these responsibilities and one of the nice things about it that i really like is that it also gives you a place to kind of add additional code kind of cross-cutting concerns and things like that logging and everything right so um, rather than the, the components who are actually consuming these these services saying i 'm about to make an Ajax call, and mm-hmm. then I made an Ajax call <laughs> and here it is and yeah. you know so every component that does that has to now duplicate all of that. You just make that logging one time in the in the service and then it 's responsible for logging it, making the call, logging that the call came back you know any of that stuff that you want to do everywhere um, that concern is just in in one, one place, place. Yeah, um, and then the 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 other part of it is that <clears throat> I I kind of referred to it earlier. I kind of implied uh, earlier about you know components being uh, being able to get their own data and or just give got, uh, having data given to them. Um, I mean, I, I typically really break it out into two different kinds of components. Like this is this is my standard architecture where I have this this service layer. Um, these services that provide data to components, and they, I, I actually call them data components, right? They're mm-hmm. non-visual, non-UI components. They just kind of live there, and their only job is to manage this stuff, right? Make AJAX calls, um, cache the data that comes back from the AJAX yep. calls, all of that stuff, right? So the UI components, the things that are visual, they're just concerned about displaying this stuff and interacting with the user and giving a good experience. And so you have very strict kind of separation of concerns there, um, and uh, it, it just helps things helps make things even more modular. So you can have or more modular, yeah. <laughs> um, so that you can actually have multiple UI components referring to the same data, referring to the same client data, right? And they're they're actually referring to the same service. And, and just to add on to that, I think uh, we've been talking a lot about
1: frameworks and, and using. Um, Single page application frameworks and things. This pattern makes sense. Even if you're just using jQuery. I oh, hate when yeah. I come to a yeah. project and there's like sixty different functions that all make Ajax calls. It's like
2: yeah, I just did it a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> That's be one place kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I created a jQuery component using an, the MVC pattern with a, a service layer and everything, and it would. It took me. Probably four times the lines of code uh, to do than it than than, an, than the same thing in Angular, but it's absolutely doable. You can apply these patterns, and, and they work. They work pretty well. So I mean, we've been we've been going on and on. We've been gushing about the uh, the great things about frameworks and client side MVC and all of that. But have you guys run into any like problems or or advice uh, uh, things to avo- avoid or things not to do? Well, let me get on my list of.
1: I got a big notebook of these <laughs> things. Um, I think the the number one thing, and we, we've kind of touched on it a lot here, is don't overload a component. Let it focus on trying to solve one problem and doing it well. Um, don't assume the framework solves all your problems. That would be another big thing I would, would say in there. And then there is a cost, right? If I'm going to add Angular, for example, to my application, I'm going to download more JavaScript code there's no way of around that. So I need to make sure that whatever framework I pick, it makes sense for the problem I have. I can't assume I'm going to make every application be Angular. Even it doesn't make sense. There are no silver bullets. There's nothing that says the application I worked on, I got to I could only be an Angular developer now because it doesn't it isn't the right solution for every problem. Um yeah, I spend a lot of time thinking
0: about that too in that um, I think it's getting better, and I think that this next generation of frameworks that are going to be coming out in, like, 2016, 2017 timeframe, I think this is top of mind on the developers' uh, lists that, hey, you know, jQuery started to get heavy because it supported all the way back to IE6... It was written in a time when all we cared about was desktop. I mean, we really didn't. Heck, in 2006, I think that was the pre- when the iPhone premiered, right? So you know we weren't thinking about that stuff and and there's been a lot of complaining and i've been one of the complainers uh, that that you might take on um a a modern popular framework and next thing you know you're downloading 300k in javascript and then and you say to yourself but it but it's it's cached what's the big deal then head over to your mobile browsers and find out that they don't cache the same way your desktop browsers yeah. do cuz they're concerned about limited memory and performance and they might just look at that 100k script and say well I downloaded it but I ain't caching it
1: mm-hmm. yeah
0: so you eat it every time now I actually do I actually do really believe that this is something on the radar of you know the stuff that that's being developed right now it's the on the radar of the angular team doing angular 2 and the Aurelia team I don't I don't think that they are going to ignore it much longer because we're seeing the statistics that more and more, depending on which statistic you read, maybe even over 50% of web browsing is happening on mobile devices and with the mobile browsers that that we web developers say, well, they suck, right? They're not as good as our desktop developers, as our desktop browsers. But guess what? It doesn't matter if that's what people are using. Who cares if they suck, right?
1: (laughs) You you also got to realize that when we talk about mobile, we're not talking about phones. We're talking about tablets. Which every generation become more and more almost laptopish, right? I mean, you can yes, almost say right. a, a Surface or even the new Apple uh, iPad Pro and stuff. It's almost the same level as a desktop, but it presents a different set of challenges. The, to build upon a little bit what you're t- talking about, there is, I think this gets back to the idea that frameworks are great and all these things they're all great. Is but they're evolving, right? They have to evolve because we have different use cases and different things we need to deal with you also brought up jQuery, which is a pretty good example. There are two versions of jQuery now, right? There's jQuery 1.9, there's jQuery 2.0. Right. They made a conscious effort to say, hey, we're going to not support new browsers in 2.0 because we're trying to solve a different problem. We're still going to support you on the old one, but we're, not, we're, next, we're going to move forward now trying to eliminate a lot of the extra code and overhead, which is a good thing, right? They're learning from the community. Uh, to me, that's a plus for why something like jQuery or even Angular, because they're willing to evolve and not get stagnant. That's a plus in my eyes. But what it's a think of developers, right? We're used to yeah. like even in the .NET world, when a new .NET version comes out, a lot of people are like apprehensive to jump to the next version of .NET for whatever reason. So I almost that would be almost advice I'd give people too: you can't get married to your framework because it's going to keep changing. But again, don't think I have to only use Framework X to solve a problem. Be open-minded enough to say, "Hey, I can use these same things, best practices I'm trying to we're talking about today." Whether I'm using Knockout or jQuery or jQuery Mobile or Angular or whatever framework. If I just go JS, the same principles of things make sense. Now, one thing you have to watch out for is you talk about the 300K library. There's an argument when you want to have 300K, and not have 300K. It's all open source. So maybe what you should be doing is looking at it and saying, hey, I only need 10% of this. So maybe I built my own that only does a 10%. The other thing you are got to watch out for is if you don't use that framework, and all of a sudden now have you written 500k of code to solve that same problem, are you yeah. better off?
2: Yeah, no, this this <laughs> goes back to my point earlier of, you know, the people writing these frameworks are probably smarter than you, and I don't mean that as a as a... They're focused on this problem. Yeah, but you're right. not. You're focused right. on your. I'm, not, your saying, business I'm problem. not saying you're stupid. I'm just saying they're smarter about this particular thing about building web frameworks. They're they're better at it than you, right? And just let's just accept that and, and move on and take advantage of their work and their generosity, um, and just assume that uh, they're going to do a better job, right? So if you had to to do, at the end of the day, you're gonna need that functionality. You've chosen that framework because it provides you some features, it provides you some value, it provides you some functionality that you need in your application. And the choice is either you write it yourself or you use a framework, right? That provides it for you and yeah I, I completely agree with you if you write it yourself you're you are definitely going to create a 500k or probably a megabyte library that is you know the same features as that 300k library except yours is going to have a lot more bugs yeah.
1: yeah you're not you're not having thousands of people test it; only you were testing it
2: right so it's a it's a it's a trade-off
1: there are fundamental things just working in the web browser right we have to deal with yeah so those problems still exist Using a framework didn't solve that problem. Yeah. The web browser still sucks as a platform. The framework yeah. just makes it easier to do things and build the applications out for you.
2: The wrong things and the right things. Yes.
1: <laughs> it can accelerate them too sometimes.
2: Yeah. No, I know. My So my my top one uh, under that category is, uh, is saving references to DOM elements. I mean, this is... This is an issue regardless of the framework. This is an issue back in in the jQuery days. I say back in the jQuery days, like they're no longer, but I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> the, saying the old days of, two years ago. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm saying the the, the pre client side MVC and the you know today and but in anyway. my days,
1: son. We had to use jQuery to get our DOM elements. <laughs> we had to
2: use raw JavaScript. <laughs> so I just see this because I've been working lately with a lot of um, uh, of jQuery developers who are now trying to learn Angular and they're, they're making applications in Angular and what they've known and used for the past 10 years is jQuery. So they really know and they know what to do. And jQuery is about the DOM, right? And so you get DOM, you get references to DOM elements and you start, uh, you know, manipulating them and things. Um, And so, in pretty much every application, it's, it's crazy, it's, it's universal. In pretty much every application, I'll open up a directive, right? which is Angular's way yeah. of, of creating components. You'll open up a directive and the first thing that you'll see is grab a reference to this DOM element and save it to my model, my JavaScript model. Right? That's bad. <laughs> and Right, so this just introduces memory leaks right off the bat, and then these applications just have crazy memory leak problems. And because it's not just one place that it's done but it's this is this is kind of a convention that the that a pattern that the teams kind of embrace is to is to do this right so well just I need to access this Dom element uh, later on so I'm just going to save a reference to it but what happens is angular comes in and it cleans up all of that stuff um, and it and it removes the, the HTML from the Dom but now that HTML, that DOM element is orphaned, right? Because there is a reference to it in the model that was not move, removed, it was not cleaned up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, the you know, the the, the, the browser, the JavaScript uh, runtime and the browser will not let that, that uh, element die. Yeah, and which so, leads to lots of
0: problems and things.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: so it sounds like, is what you're saying that the model is the model, the view is the view. And if you've got to make, A change to the the data, you don't care about what the view has to do with it. That's for the view to figure out. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so you were just saying, you know, I'm going to save a reference to a DOM element for later. It's a little bit of old style thinking because because yes, that was good advice in that. Well, hey, you know that DOM lookup is slow, so only do it once. But your point is, know your framework because your framework may be tearing down DOM elements, destroying them, and you don't even know it.
2: And, yeah, absolutely. And, well, and, quite frankly, I mean, this could have cost you a memory leak in in jQuery well Yeah, as I say well. jQuery
1: kind of does the same things. Uh, yeah, just may I not mean, realize I mean, it. it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, so as we wrap up, um, any any last words? Any uh, any other recommendations or or anything? Chris, do you have anything?
0: Well, I mean, the time has come for anyone who hasn't already is to go ahead and learn and master JavaScript, right? um i think we tried to get away with it for a long time in fact that was the whole point of things like web forms and asp.net mvc and razor is hey man I don't want to learn JavaScript, so we're just going to use C sharp or a language you know a language we really like and an environment we really like, and we'll 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 build our components in this server side environment, and and then we'll let magical uh, <laughs> server controls render out HTML, and I'll never have to learn that stuff. And you know what? That if if you're <laughs> yeah, if you're still doing that today. The time has passed you by, and it's time to learn and master JavaScript.
1: Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you could even argue jQuery to a degree prevented you from a little bit, right? It kicked it down the road a little bit. I just used jQuery. I didn't have to understand all the things work.
2: You didn't really need to learn all of JavaScript. You could just learn a, a subset of it and be pretty productive. So I would definitely completely agree with that, except I would take it the, a step further and actually say learn TypeScript. Because <laughs> 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 TypeScript Boo. is JavaScript plus some new cool stuff. No, I'm, be, I'm being dead serious. And, uh, I mean, I, I personally do love TypeScript. I'm not, a, I'm not a fanboy of a lot of things, but I am a, I'm a fanboy of TypeScript. Um, but forget about TypeScript specifically, just kind of a precompiled uh, or, or a transpiled javascript kind of derivative right whether it's coffee script or TypeScript, these things um they they compile down to javascript so they work perfectly well in the browser it's, it's just that the uh the development experience with them is far more productive they give you a lot more help um and they they help you avoid a lot of the the common pitfalls in in uh, in javascript and just in development in general using mm-hmm. using uh using javascript right that's one of my uh, the big reasons I love TypeScript is because it it'll give you you know a lot of good intellisense and kind of help you along and and you go and you compile your code just as you would compile a C sharp application and it will tell you if you're uh, referencing a property that's not there or you misspelled the name of a property or something things that are just very difficult to find otherwise unless you're doing you know full fledged unit testing of your JavaScript this this stuff is just uh, just far more difficult to uh, to catch if you're mm. using traditional JavaScript I'd also take it to uh, extend this all to, to, to the realm of CSS too I think you should you should definitely learn CSS uh, I don't think necessarily as a developer you need to go crazy because often um, you'll be paired up with uh, with with designers or you'll have access to uh, designers I know that's a very very <laughs> broad statement and it's it's not often true. Um, but honestly, with frameworks, with UI frameworks like Bootstrap, um, which designers hate because, yeah, you know, it's yeah. it's every everything looks the looks same like to them. Bootstrap, yeah. yeah. But, you know, for those of us who are not creative and we're not designers, Bootstrap is, is a godsend because it just kind of takes care of all that stuff for you. Yeah. And so then you don't really need to learn CSS as much. You need to understand what's going on in CSS to a, to a certain extent. Um, but really, you just kind of learn CSS classes, and that's just not a, a world that you have to really truly concern yourself with. With with, I'd have I have to find a little bit
1: with that statement. I'd have to say you, you kind of touched on it a little bit. You have to understand sort of what Bootstrap is trying to solve. You may not necessarily have to understand its floating divs or all the other stuff per se, but it's important to understand. This is how I use Bootstrap to solve this problem. It's yeah. like any other framework, right? You learn yeah. the the pros of the framework and the cons of the framework, and be willing to say, "Hey, you know what? For this project, Bootstrap isn't the right answer. I want to learn yeah. something else." No, I think, exactly. I think the the bigger thing when I t- when I tell people, "Hey, you need to learn CSS," is just have a good grasp of it, right? Understand mm-hmm. the rules. Understand that if I have two different classes on an element, this is going to happen. If the mm-hmm. element is if it overrides a, a background color, or God forbid, it uses the dreaded important statement. I understand what those do. Yeah. Okay. I don't necessarily have to master Bootstrap, but I have to have a good working understanding of what they do. Yeah. Well, if yeah, I can no, throw I, a monkey wrench I into pretty that. Pretty much agree
2: with that. But uh, <coughs> you know, I think the what, what's days Chris's of really wrench? truly understanding the the box model, you know, really <laughs> n- needing to understand the box model, I think those are. Uh, I'm not going to say they're gone, but it's just that kind of knowledge is not as relevant because frameworks like Bootstrap really kind of abstract you away from it. And I think
0: that's true for what you just said about like, the box model. But that, just to throw a little monkey wrench into it so everybody can feel like, oh, there's no silver bullet and more stuff to learn. CSS has gotten pretty powerful in terms of things like animations and transforms. Oh,
2: God. Yeah. And
0: yeah. <laughs> we've been, we all are guilty. I think probably all three of us and many of our colleagues are guilty of just running back to jQuery or running back to, I'll do it in JavaScript, and it turns out you're 10,000 times slower
1: yeah. We'll right? Than
0: quite literally than yeah. mastering you know some CSS animation and and I'm not trying to say let's all run out and learn it but just it's something to keep in mind that when you start looking at your page and you're starting to think you know what what am I doing on this page that that maybe could do with some optimizing consider that maybe some of the fallbacks. For animation or fading or moving of, of text or getting it to, to 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 shift color or something that you just you as a standard you just ran over to jQuery and said, oh fade just consider mm-hmm. that the yeah. way jQuery does that in JavaScript might be killing you
1: yeah definitely definitely don't I mean the web is constantly evolving you got to be willing to to say hey there's a better way to do it don't get too caught up yep which is probably what, the golden rule I think in, in any kind of software development. Things are going to change. Frameworks, languages, browsers—I mean, browsers change every freaking hour almost. Sometimes it seems like you got to constantly keep testing things and make sure they they work and solve the problem you're trying to solve. On
0: well, the web's going to keep moving. I mean, you know, we're getting device more device support, and as the folks who make web browsers want the web browsers to be able to do more things,
1: and we do yeah. too. There's there's expectation.
2: Yeah. Great. Well, thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Todd, Chris. Yep, thank uh, thanks for the chat. Thanks yeah, for joining me and talking about this. And uh, thank you, listener, for spending the time with us. We hope that you got a lot of value out of listening to this discussion. And if you did, please let other people know by submitting a review on iTunes and uh, let, let your friends know. It's the word of mouth that's going to help us grow and help us uh, keep this thing going. And until uh, next time, we'll see you later on the Static Voice Podcast.